Romans 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honour one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Thanks, Carolyn. <clears throat> well, good morning. For those of you that don't know me, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here and... I'm going to um, lead you in God's Word this morning and in, in sharing what we're up to this morning. And uh, we're looking at Romans chapter 12 this morning and, and I've been, we're reading through the Bible in a year and um, so we normally, uh, on a Sunday, we will share something on, um, on what we've read in the Bible um, or where we're at in the Bible. And this week I've cheated just a little bit because if you're up to speed, you'll know that I've skipped ahead a little bit. John, you might have noticed. John is our champion. So um, we've gone just ahead a little bit. And last week I, had, I talked about in, in Acts where there was this turning point in Acts where the, the message of, of hope for, the, for, for the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish people sort of sprung out and began to spread. This is another turning point in Romans 12, and that's where I've gone there. This is another turning point in terms of where Paul starts talking about, well, this is what you've received um, in Romans, he's talked about that, and this is how you should live. And um, I was sitting in the office this week, 
And I don't know how many of you... I'm not into making New Year's resolutions. Who does that? No one's sticking their hand up because then I'm going to ask them afterwards what it was and I can check on it. No, I'm not really into doing that. But I do kind of evaluate and sort of think, you know, what would I... What would I like to do this year or, or what would I like to... And then you know how your thoughts go. You start with one thought and before you know it, you're off in some other thought, you know. And I, I, I begin with what, what would I like to do and then I start thinking, oh, what would I like to reflect? What would I like people to think, you know, when they see me? And then, of course, I'm, you know, I'm doing that personally, but then I'm sitting in a church office and thinking about, what about us as a church? You know, as leadership, we, we're starting again this year soon and we're looking at, you know... What is it that we, who is it that we are as a church? What, what would we like to reflect as a church? You know, what would we like the world to see from us as a church community? And um, I thought Paul had something to say about that. So I want to focus a little bit just on, on us this morning as a, as a church community. You know, there's a new year. We've got a new opportunity to, to do what God's called us to do or to be who God's called us to be as a church community. So just quickly, Paul's letter to, in, to, um, the, Paul's letter to the Romans is mainly to the Gentiles in Rome um, to encourage them uh, to rely on grace only, not to sort of get caught up in works-oriented. Remember, if you were here last week, I talked about how there was this huge thing about the Gentiles where, where uh, the Jewish leaders said, you've got to be circumcised if you, um, you want to be a Christian. Well, Paul's reminding them again now in Rome just to rely on grace. He's focused for the first part of Romans, the first half of Romans pretty much, he's focused on God's righteousness and why we needed salvation, why we need salvation, why the Gentiles needed salvation, because of our lack of righteousness, because we're not good. And he focuses and he explains again to them what God did as a solution to their unrighteousness and, and who they are now in Christ. And, and that's us as well. When you read through that, just think about us, you know, who we are now in Christ. That's kind of the, half, the first half of Romans where Paul spends a lot of time reminding us of just how much God's done and who we are. And the focus on, his, on the second section or the last section, apart from a few greetings and personal stuff, is on how the Gentiles, we, must now live. So you've got this because and then how we must now live. And you see that in the first few, few verses of, of, um, of Romans 12, and I put them up there, and I've I probably said this before, and you've probably heard this lots of times before, and it's corny, but it's true. When you see a therefore, you're supposed to ask what it's there for. Okay, so what therefore? So therefore means, so Paul's kind of saying, well, I've said all this for the first 11 chapters of Romans. Therefore... I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that I've told you about how much God has done for you, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, worship, consider that worship isn't just singing songs or going to church. Worship, in the way Paul was speaking, is this is how you live. This is how you reflect. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't get distracted, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remind yourself again and again of what God did and who you are in Christ. Because then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. So in getting their hearts and minds right, in understanding who they are, that's when they'll be able to do that evaluation in the office and think, what am I going to reflect this year? Who am I going to be? What's it going to be like? 
what is my mission? So they were to be living sacrifices, non-conformists, transformed by the renewing of their mind, and then they would understand God's good and pleasing will. And, and what is his will for them essentially, and we know that, and we know what God's will is for us, is that we would be witnesses. That somehow when, um, when the world, as the Gentiles lived in the world, and lived in Rome particularly, that somehow the, the people that saw them would see God, would see Jesus, would understand the message of hope and the message of Christ. And you know this is all true for us as well. God's righteousness is now to be reflected in the right lives of his followers. And that's now us as well. You know, and then Paul doesn't just leave it to their imagination on how to fill that in, what that's going to look like now. You know, he, um, he helps them to see. And then the second half of Romans, if you're reading that, when you catch up with that this week, and let me remind you again, if you're behind in reading the Bible, don't lament and don't get all sad and give up. Just bam, pick it up tomorrow morning, Romans 12, if you want to be reminded, and just keep reading to the end. So Paul doesn't leave it to our imagination. The rest of Romans pretty much focuses on this. And there's three major areas, if you read the rest of Romans, that Paul focuses on. Living rightly with each other in the church, in the community. He talks to the Gentiles as they live together, living rightly with each other. Live rightly in the world. Understand how you're supposed to live and how you're supposed to position yourself in the world. And then dealing rightly with all people. So behaving rightly, dealing rightly, acting rightly, um, living rightly with all people. Now, we could deal with all three this morning because I know that we're running ahead of time. Shall we? No, okay. I, I see those looks of shock. We won't. But I want to look at the first one. I want to look at living rightly with each other because I think this is the secret, isn't it? You know, when I think of my own life, when I do my own reflection, I kind of think, well, what would I like people to see what would i like to reflect to the world with my life and the realization the dawning realization that comes to me is i've got to get it right in me because if i get it right in me then people are going to see the right thing on the outside so i want to deal with living rightly with each other what do or will we look like as god's people and romans 12 pretty much covers this now you've got the first part of romans 12 you've got verses 3 to 8 where it just talks about um, don't be conceited about your gifts and realize that everyone has different gifts and that that's good for the body. And there's a, there's a whole sermon we could do on that. So the first part, Paul talks about you know, not being conceited, you know, understanding who you are and understanding that you know, I need you, you need me, we need each other because there's all kinds of different gifts and we complement each other. Now, Paul might have been addressing an issue here where there's a bit of competition amongst the Gentiles in Rome. And so that's what he's talking about, and it's good for the body. But then in the second half of Romans 12, and here's where we're going to zero in this morning, and it's going to be really practical this morning, is, is on love. And verses 9 to 21, if we follow them through, it's about loving each other. And he, he spends like, well, he's spending something like 10 to 12 verses here on this because it's really important for them to understand what this means and what the power of what this is. That love has heaps of content. And in fact, if you look at the words, they're dynamic words. It's love in action. It's not just, you know, read the word, read together, sit in circles and, and sing kumbaya and talk about love. It's love in action. Living rightly with each other is, a, is an active word, isn't it? It's dynamic. 
So let's focus on some of the descriptive words through the verses and the key themes that Paul uses to define what that would look like amongst the Gentile believers and us. And I'm, I'm, I'm gonna, there's going to be a slide for each time I come up with a word and I'll put it. But if you've got paper and pen, I was going to encourage you this morning or if you've got a phone or just to write down these descriptive words that Paul uses and just to use them, you know, when we went to the Global Leadership Summit as leaders last year, one of the speakers said, you know, in your life and in your church or in your business or in your organization, you could have lots of goals and you could have lots of great things. But if you don't have a structure to measure them, it's a waste of time having them. So I'm thinking this morning, and I've written them down for myself, write these words down. And if you get a chance in your quiet time this week or sometime, just use them as a measurement. Oh, how am I going with that? You know, sometimes measurements means you've got to be honest. Well, no, actually, I pretty much suck at that. Or here's some improvement. So I'm just going to encourage you to write down some of these words. And if you haven't got paper and pen, you're going to be reading Romans 12 tomorrow to catch up anyway. So you'll see them there and you can read them there. You can write them then. So let's have a look at them. The first one in verse 9. What does Paul say in verse chapter 9? Love must be sincere. So the first one is sincere. Um, have I ever done this before? I think I've had. Have you ever heard what the, the origins of the word sincere are? Who knows what the origins of the word sincere are? So it's sin sera. So it's Italian. And um, there might be a bit of a hint there. Um, if you go to Oakley, you'll see a lot of houses with some of this stuff in the front yard and in the front um, verandas. Um, in, in the early Roman times, a lot of this stuff, the building stuff and art, was made of marble. Um, <coughs> and uh, good craftsmanship uh, made good, good like sculptures or good pillars for integrity for holding up the, the, the portico or whatever they called the, the buildings in those times. And, um, but what you had, just, just as we do in our day, there were shonky builders. Don, you'd know about shonky builders, not being one yourself, but you've met plenty of them. And there were shonky builders. And what you can do, like if it was bad, <coughs> if it was bad marble or the marble had a crack in it, that would be bad for its integrity and it wouldn't look good uh, as, a, as a piece of artwork. What you could do is you could melt wax in there and you could fill that crack up with wax, and you can't see it. It looks like part of the marble. And so there were shonky people that were selling shonky art and shonky um, and dodgy uh, building materials. And so there became a saying for something that had integrity, to something that was a good piece of artwork or a good piece, was without wax. And that's what sign sera means in Italian, without wax. And so that's the origins of the word sincere, that it's trustworthy, that it's sincere. Interesting? Interesting? There you go. So that's where the word sincere comes from. And Paul starts with that. He says, you know, love must be sincere. Look, if you're going to love, let's be sincere. We all know the whole fake smile thing, don't we? You know, we all know when someone smiles and says, oh, yeah, your hair looks really good. You know, and you know it doesn't look really good. You know, Rob? No, it looks great, Rob. Good. You know the fake smile thing you see that in the movies and acting, and no one likes a fake. Love is more than an, an outward smile or, or an outward expression. Uh, <coughs> love is manifest in, in genuine action, and, a, and it needs to mirror to others how God really feels about them. You know, God does not feel fake about anybody, God does not um, fake smile at anybody. God is sincere. And if we're going to reflect God, we need to be sincere about 
how we love. You know, and if we find it hard to love, then we need to be quick to work out why, uh, resolve it and deal with it and then get on with being genuine. And it's interesting that Paul begins with love being sincere. He's talking about love and he's going to talk about lots of action steps, but he wants you to actually mean it. And, you know, I have to be honest that there's times where I have to spend some time figuring out if I mean it. Anyone else know what I mean? You've got to sit there and deal with yourself a little bit to see whether you really mean it, whether you're actually going to be genuinely able to love that person or those people. So Paul starts with, you know, love must be sincere. Then verse 10, the next one. What do you say in verse 10? Be devoted to one another in love and honour one another above yourselves. So being devoted and honouring. You know, I was thinking of how could I describe devoted? What's the greatest picture for devoted? And I couldn't find a really good picture. And um, most of you will know that PowerPoints aren't my greatest gift. Most of the office laughs at me, but I'm on my own in the office, so I get to do it without anyone laughing at me. Glenn is just brilliant at doing this sort of stuff. So he's not here to see how bad I've done it. it but this is okay. But devoted on it. And when you think of devotion, the picture I have in my mind of devotion, I couldn't find it, is a mother with a baby and with a child, isn't it? You know, they say when a mother is devoted to their children, you know, and, and what does that mean? When a mother de- is devoted to her children, she puts the children above herself. And devotion is actually putting someone above yourself, uh, before you, more than you. And I can remember growing up with my, my, my mother was devoted to my father. And I could tell that because when she would cut up a piece of cake, he would always get the biggest bit. You're feeling it, aren't you, John? You know what it's like, you know? And, and, you know, so her mother, and I know that Sue's, in Sue's, um, Sue's family, Sue's father has had two mothers, and his first mother was, was a mother in the war. Um, and she died shortly after the war, and, it fa- and they found out she died from malnutrition because there wasn't much food, and whatever food she had, she gave to her. How many kids? Five kids. And so she died. So, I mean, when I think of devotion, putting someone in, that's, that's what I think of, that sort of picture. And, and that's what Paul's talking about. You know, what are the relationships in our church body like? Are we working hard to devote our time, our resources, and um, our attitude to raising each other up? Because Paul talks about, you know, be devoted to one another, honor one another above yourself, kind of promote one another, promoting each other in their gifts. You know, if someone's good at something, honor them and, and put them up there. So we've got being sincere, being devoted and honouring. And then in verse 11, he goes on, Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervour, serving the Lord. And so the words I pulled out of that is zeal. Now zeal, I don't use that much in my modern day language anymore. Any of you do that? I don't walk around saying, I feel full of zeal today. What about you? You know. But zeal is interesting. Zeal is just absolute enthusiasm. Is is just, just... going for it and really committed to something. And so Paul talks about, you know, it, when, in your love, it, it must be with zeal and, and with spiritual fervor. So there's a drive behind it than, than more than your own, uh, than your own uh, will and serving. You know, the NLT uh, version, the New Living Translation, says it like this, don't be lazy, work hard in serving the Lord enthusiastically. You know, does that describe our faith community? Is it hard to get things done in our church? And if we do do it, is it enthusiastic? Because there's two, you know, he talks about being, doing it with zeal, doesn't he, you know? 
Uh, how many times have you sort of seen this sign-up list and, you know, you've heard for three weeks in a row and no one signed up, so you finally said, well, gee, you know, I, I guess I can do it. I've done that. Has anyone ever done that? Well, Paul's talking about when you love, it's zeal. I'm in. I, I want to do that because this is my church community. You are my people and, and I can do it and I'll do it. I want to do it. And the word fervor adds urgency to the, to the word. So this is the context that we get to practice being Jesus. Let's not let the flag drop. You know, let's, you know love is, is, is manifest in us in, in having zeal and fervor and serving one another. And Paul talks, about the, talks to the Gentiles about being like that as well. And in verse 12, he goes, on, there's a, he goes on with a whole list of them here, so I'm not going to spend too much time on each one. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. <clears throat> so there are the words, joyful. I thought that kid was pretty joyful on the piano there. I thought he looked pretty good. Um, faithful and patient. Um, that's me on the bottom cartoon there. Patience is not my, my greatest asset. Um, but Paul talks about being joyful in hope, patient in trouble, and faithful to pray. You know, Paul has just spent the better half of Romans, the, the first half of Romans, describing the hope that we have, describing, guys, you know what Jesus did for you? You know what salvation looks like? You, do you know what you were rescued from? Do you know who you are now and where you are now? And that's what's supposed to make the Gentiles be able to stand up and us too, and be patient when trouble hits, and be faithfully praying. Trouble in the body comes in all kinds of guises, doesn't it? Practical issues, practical troubles, a computer that won't work in the micro to, to bigger troubles, a budget that won't balance, church-related issues, family-related issues, families that, that aren't always working the way they're supposed to work. Young people that aren't always doing the things that the parents dream they should be doing. Financial challenges in the family, in the church. Struggling, people struggling in the church. Trouble comes in, in all kinds of guises, in all kinds of ways, doesn't it? <coughs> Love in action is to be reminded and then to remind each other of the hope that we have, that we all have, and to be patiently praying and standing together in faith. <clears throat> you know, I think we're all one step away from trouble of some sort. Trouble and affliction doesn't play favourites. You know, we've spent last year looking at how much trouble's going on in the world, and even recently this week again. You know, and, and you know, the trouble seems far away a lot of the time. It, it hurts us, but it seems far away. But trouble and affliction is not necessarily far away from us. And so we need to understand the love that Paul's talking about so that we can be joyful together with it, patient in it, and faithful in it. And it's interesting that these things are all, this is what love looks like. Love has all of these attributes. And he goes on in verse, in, in verse 13. He says, Share <coughs> with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You know, we just had the trouble and patience and that sort of stuff, and then you've got share and practice. Is this easier? Do you find it? I don't find sharing easy, do you? I mean, really, genuine sharing. You know, sharing my time, my attention, my stuff, the things I love, 
And if I'm really honest, hospitality isn't my greatest gift. You need to see Sue for that. I don't mind it if it doesn't interrupt or cost or hinder me in any way. <laughs> it's the, uh, <laughs> the antipathy of uh, hospitality, isn't it? But genuine sharing and genuine hospitality <coughs> is sacrificial. You know, love is sacrificial and, and genuine sharing and genuine hospitality, it, it is sacrificial. <coughs> Excuse me. There goes that hour that you set aside by yourself. You know what I'm talking about. There goes that evening at home that you've been planning to have since last Wednesday. There goes that sleeping on Saturday morning that you knew you were going to have because you got out early the whole week. There goes that lunch that you were going to have, that nice lunch that you didn't eat too much the day before because you were going to pig out in that nice lunch to, today. There goes that movie that you were going to watch that um, you can't now. There goes that money that you had planned to use for something special on yourself. There goes that holiday. There goes that new car. There goes that. Fill it in yourself. You know, and, and you know what it is for yourself. You know, if I'm going to be giving and sharing, it, it's sacrificial. There goes those things that I thought that I was going to have for myself or that I'd like to have for myself. It's the prefer the other model, or the other model. You know, and I was looking in a dictionary at sharing and there's this interesting, there's, there's the normal definitions, but there's this interesting definition where it says, you know, equalizing. Sharing is equalizing. Sharing is making sure that we're equal, that you don't have less than I have, that I don't have exorbitantly more than you have, that you're not suffering and I'm not. You know, and I was thinking about our, our, our day today. The problem for us is not that we have too little to share. I think the problem is that we have too much and it's hard to let it go. And our too much makes us have too little time to share. So sharing and practicing hospitality, it means inquiring genuinely of, of each other's needs and, and finding out, you know, what is it that you need? You know, w w what is it that, that would help you? And then choosing to be a part of meeting those needs. Each church community has needs, material needs and non-material needs. And they're always shifting. It's always moving. And we are the place. This is the place that God intended for those needs to be dealt with and those needs to be carried. This is how love looks in this community. Sharing and hospitality. But he goes on and he says in verse <coughs> 14... He says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Um, simply, learn to bless those who make your life hard. How many of you are good at that? Because I want to spend some time with you. You know, <laughs> I find this one really hard, particularly in a, in a church setting and back in YWAM days and at a pastor and the last church I worked at. You know, sometimes when I have really naughty thoughts, I wish I had voodoo dolls of some of the members of the church, you know. Yeah, blessing those that make your life hard, you know, is, isn't easy, but that's what Paul's talking about. The Gentiles were not living some dream in Rome. They had made a choice that actually made them targets. They put a target on their back from not just the Romans, but sometimes the Jews as well. 
They were living in a really difficult, really difficult time where it was costing them enormously to be followers of Christ, to have made the choice to, that they had made. And Paul's saying, you know, but guys, you know, you've got to learn to bless. Bless those who persecute you. It's hard in any community or group to all think and act the same. We're not the same. And it's hard not to be critical at times of each other. And even criticism does come sometimes. But love in action is to bless and not to hold back blessing. You know, sometimes um, it's not just that I find it hard to bless people that, that give me a hard time. But sometimes what we do is, or what I do, or what we can do is we withhold blessing. You know, withhold, we sort of step back and sort of distance ourselves. And actually you're giving them the message that I'm not really keen on you right now. But blessing is more than words. Blessing in action. Because the opposite spirit breaks down the walls of the enemy. So love in action is blessing and uh, being a blessing. And verse 15 um, I told you this was going to be practical. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And I think this is really nice. This is a great reflection of, of a community that loves one another, love in action. Rejoice and mourn. Party and commiserate. Celebrate and empathize. Dance with and stand with. The mark of a loving body is being able to roll with each other in the joy and, and in the sorrows that we have in our community. And you know what? I was thinking, how do you do that? You've got to be there to do it. You've got to be part of the community. You've kind of got to be present to stand with someone, don't you? You're going to have to be there to be able to be joyful with them. It's kind of really hard getting all excited with somebody when you're not there. Okay, Skype works reasonably well. Emails kind of, you know, you can put joyful words in there or capitals. Was capitals yelling? I forgot. My kids told me. Capitals yelling. There you go. So don't, not capitals. What's joyful then? Lots of exclamation marks. Something like that. But it's not the same. You know, it's much more fun if you can celebrate together. That's why the cyber, the, the age of the, of, of cy, or the cyber age hasn't stopped us from getting together and having parties. Hasn't stopped us from celebrating birthdays or people coming together. Because being joyful is being together. And it's the same with mourning together. And it's a huge boost if someone celebrates with you. But it's greater still if someone carries a burden or carries a load with you. That's what God did for us in Jesus. He took our load of sin away. He took that, our, our, our mourning away and replaced it with joy and replaced it with new life. And that's what we celebrate. And you know, as a church community, we do that. Lord's Supper is the way we celebrate. Worship is the way we celebrate. Um, prayer is the way that we stand with each other. Visiting is the way that we stand with each other. So rejoice and mourn is love in action as well. It's part of a loving community. In verse 16, he goes on to say, Live in harmony with one another and do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not think you're superior. Harmony, humility and acceptance. I love that picture of this. This was me when I was a kid. I hated it when my, my brother or sister had a better ice cream than me or something like that. You know, anyone identify with that? This kid looks so, look at him. He's got this measly 10 cent icy pole. Well, this girl's got this really nice ice cream. I reckon he's got something going for him, though. But really, you know, this whole sense of harmony, humility, and acceptance. 
disagreements, let them go. There's different ways to do, to do things. There's different ways we all react to things and we've got to learn to flex and live in harmony with each other. And, you know, the second half where, where Paul says, you know, um, do not be proud but be willing to associate with people of low position and don't think you're superior. Um, in the message version, it says something like this. Don't big note yourself. Hang out with ordinary folk and don't be a know-it-all. Kind of says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> you know? We may live in different types of homes. We may have different jobs and pay rates. We may even have different social circles. But we all have the same need for a saviour. That's what Paul talked about in the first half of Romans. You all need a saviour. We all need a saviour. We all have that in common. We need salvation. You know, and there's stories of churches and, and groups and Christian groups that have locked out certain ethnic groups, certain social groups. We must not allow social standing or any standing or status or anything get in the way of being united and being in harmony together as a community. That's love in action. Because that will affect our hospitality. So love in action... He's living in harmony with each other. He's, be, he's being humble and accepting each other for the way that we are and, and, and the, the kind of place we come from. And in verse 18, If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And he goes on to say, Do not take revenge in verse 19. So it's peace. Live at peace. Love in action is a community of peace with everyone. No revenge, no grudges, not 60-style peace. As I said before, in any group, in any kind of community, in any church or any group, there can be disagreements, there are differences, and those sorts of things can occur. But be the first to go to someone and make peace. Be the first to take the low road. You know, Paul says, and I like that, where he says, you know, as far as it's possible, as far as it depends on you. So whatever you can do about it, you're responsible to see that there's peace. Maybe the other, people wrong, the other person wronged you. Maybe you think that you are right and they're wrong. But as far as it depends on you, as much as you can do about it, you do about it. You don't wait for the other person to initiate. You know, Jesus said in his Sermon on the Plain and his Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. And what do you say about them? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Sons of the King. People that belong to God. Blessed are the peacemakers. A community of Christ followers must be a community of peace. There's enough unpeace in our world even in the name of God sometimes. And we need to stand against that. So if you've made the list, you should have sincere, devoted and honour. You should have zeal and spiritual fervour and serving, joyful, patient, faithful, sharing, hospitality, blessing, rejoicing, mourning, harmony, humility, acceptance and peace. That's a big ask, isn't it? Have a look at the list. There it is. There are, there are, there are the words. That, that's it. How do you think you're going? How do you think we do as, as a rate as a church community? If this is what Paul says, if this is love in action, and if we 
And we say it all the time. We, we want to reach the community around us. We want to reach the world. We want them to know what God's love is, don't we? This would be yes and this would be no. We do. But the only way that's going to work is if it works in here first. If it doesn't work in here, it's not going to work outside. And I think it's a great reminder for me and for us as a church when we begin this year... And we all have these great dreams with Cavell Kitchen and Corner and uh, work in Africa, in Rwanda and Uganda, uh, work with the Bread Run, uh, work with women's ministry, our cap money, um, uh, the relationships that you might have with, you know, they're great aspirations. And that's what God's calling us to do as a church community. But let's also learn to see what love in action looks like amongst us. Because if we're doing that well, it'll kind of just start to spill out, won't it? It'll kind of become who we are. And, and it'll be apparent. This is just the beginning of Paul's describing how we can reflect righteousness. But this is where the rubber hits the road. Like I said, if we can get it working in here, it gets way easier out there. <clears throat> if it's genuine in here, it'll come across the same way in the world that we're in. You know, we've all been reminded, we have lots of opportunities to be reminded of how much we're loved by God. How grace has come to us, all in the same degree. You know, I didn't get more grace than any of you. I got the same. We all got the amazing grace of God in that he removed the sin that was part of us and made us clean and made us new. And we all needed that. We've been made righteous through Christ, regardless of who we are in the world's eyes. And this body, us, One Hope Community Church, has been called together with all its foibles, with all its differences, with all its kind of characteristics and with all that we are to be that message of hope. And it starts in here. Isn't that an exciting thing to think about? Isn't it great to be able to consider what it means to love one another? So look at that list. If you haven't written it down, it's easy to do just reading Romans 12. It's not a long chapter. Write that down. Think about it. Are there any relationships that I need to work out are there any things that I need to sort out? Are there any areas that I struggle in or, or particular places here where you know, I, I could really use God's help with, with some work? You know? and, and remember, you know, when, you ask, when you say to God, you know, God, can you teach me to be patient? Guess what happens? Anyone want to guess? You ask God for patience. He's going to put you in a position where you need to develop it. Hmm. But for the sake of God's reputation in the world, let's resolve to be a community that lives rightly and loves rightly this year. Amen? Let's pray.